This is Nightmares of the Americas, Indigenous Tales. The show will start in three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to Nightmares of the Americas, Indigenous Tales. I'm Joseph. And I'm Gabriel. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm Gabriel. <laughs> if you're wondering why I'm starting the show today, it's because it's my podcast now. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's not. My co-host is a little under the weather. I have been out for the count for two weeks, guys, <laughs> um, since before Thanksgiving. So uh, my voice is a little, it's a little rough. I might have to change it up a little bit just so I can talk to you guys. Oh. Um but I'm going to do my best because you know what? The show oh, must go on. The show must go on. The fat lady has sung. And there no, are, that's not. We're not taking a break. Not again. No, we're not. I'll power through this. Yeah. I guess everybody's been kind of getting sick, you know, like throughout the entire country. Yeah. It's like a, it's happening to everybody. It's not even sick. It's just like a weird cough and then a weird throat thing. Yeah. It's weird. It's like I've been coughing for like um, forever. Over for two weeks. Now it's been two <laughs> weeks exactly. And it just won't go away. And I don't know why. Like, I don't feel like trash. I don't feel like like I'm sick and sluggish and all that weird stuff. It's just... You got the I bad juju. Cough. I, I know. I mean, someone put a curse on me, I guess. <laughs> so besides you having a crappy voice, how has your week been? Uh, it's been all right. You know, um, we had a good time. Just living life, trying to enjoy everything we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, spending time with family, it sucked because... I didn't want to get everyone sick if I was contagious or anything. So I kind of stayed away for the most part. And, Mm -hmm. um, we had some family issues come up over the past couple weeks and, you know, didn't really, really sucks. Didn't want to really be around anybody because, you know, we have elderly people in our family and you never know now. Now I'm just like, I don't know. I I feel weird. I'm not going to be around you because I want you to be around at least a little longer. And I'm not going to be the one to blame for you getting out of here. Yeah. I think we'll be okay though. We'll be okay. You're young. We're all young. We're fine. I haven't gotten it yet. So my whole um, immediate family got hit, and I think I think my son has maybe a little cough. My daughter has a little cough still, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I'm the only one that sounds like a stupid face. Yeah, it hits you hard for some reason. It's because it takes a lot to take me down. <laughs> it's because I'm stubborn. That's probably it. It's because I'm very stubborn. I'm like, if my leg hurts and I start limping, mm-hmm. I look down at my leg and go. You're not going to tell me what to do, leg. Start punching. And it. then I start walking. No, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to hurt unless <sighs> I tell you to hurt. Oh, I'll show you. I'll give you something <laughs> to hurt about. Yeah. No, I don't do. I don't pull a dad. <laughs> start crying. I'll beat the crap out of you now. Yeah. Like, dad, but I was crying because I was sad my dog died. I'll kill your other dog. <laughs> dad, why are we oh, doing this? Now I'm sad. Oh, sorry, guys. Mm. Um, oh, no. Yeah, we took a week off. Definitely a week longer than we should have. Um, no more weeks off. No more weeks off. We're not doing that. Yeah, we don't want to leave you guys hanging without a show to enjoy. So we are pushing through and we're going to get this done. Yes, we are. And hopefully I can make it through the entire podcast. If not, um, I might cut out a little early. Um, just chime in from here and there. And, and my co-host, the wonderful Gabriel Beal, will be uh, taking over, taking the the reins. I will do if my you will. best. So we have a couple of uh, things that we're looking into coming up. Um, and I'm going to let Gabe talk about those because I'm going to rest my voice, take a little sip of something, and hopefully I'll be able to talk through my part of the podcast. Some cough syrup, some uh, home remedy. So we got some big news concerning our merch that we've been talking about. We always Ooh. say we don't have merch, but this time... 
We're going to have merch pretty soon. Oh, within the month. Yeah, we've been working on a cool logo for a t-shirt and working on a Patreon account. We've had a few listeners ask us about that, too. So we're working hard on that. And the goal is to have it done before the new year. Before the new year. Come on, guys. I think we could do it. We're going to hunker down. We're just going to bust our knuckles and get our hands dirty. (laughs) Yeah, so we're brainstorming. We're coming up with ideas for different tiers for the Patreon and we'd love to hear some feedback from you guys. If you want to email us at info at behillnetwork.com, give us some you know feedback on what maybe we should do. We'll take that into consideration. We know one of the tiers is going it's probably going to be the mid-tier. It's going to have a giveaway. Oh, yeah. So the giveaways can include uh, new T-shirts, new um, hats, new stickers. If we do like special, we're going to do special bonus episodes for everybody. Ad-free listening. Those are ideas we're kicking around. Um, and also, uh, Q and a, we'll have like mm-hmm. a Q and a session where you could ask us questions, talk to us and stuff, maybe even do future, uh, virtual meetups that you could see us acting dumb like we normally do <laughs> and ask some questions, yeah. you know, kind of meet and have like community gathering and, you know, just get to know each other. Yeah. And for the bonus episode, we've been kind of working on the idea of doing a bonus episode. That's not necessarily indigenous. It could be maybe like a spooky cryptid. That's just from wherever we think is cool or maybe like a spooky story that we heard about. And that could just be a bonus episode for you guys or a bonus listener tale. Yeah. Bonus. Yeah. That'll be cool too. And also we're going to be doing something cool this week. We're going to be doing a sticker giveaway, but it's not just any sticker. No, it's a really cool sticker guys It is a five by five sticker from our friends at indigenous prints and it's orange and it says every stolen native child matters. And it has the hashtag Every Child Matters, Native Lives Matters, and it has their at Indigenous Prince on it. But this is going to be specifically for Instagram. So follow us on Instagram at Indigenous underscore Tales. And the week that this drops, the December 8th, we're going to post this sticker on Instagram. And what you have to do is uh, follow us, like the post, and then tag somebody in the comments. And then we're going to randomly pick somebody. We're going to show you, we're going to record the random, we're going to do the random generator with your names on it on, um, on Google generator. Yeah. So it'll be, so there's no bias here. Nope. Just because I I like your name or I know who you are. I'm not going to pick it. Oh man. I was going to give it to one of my friends. (laughs) Oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh Oh, now this, this sticker, the orange, um, the every stolen native uh, child matters, the orange color that's to represent the residential schools that a lot of natives had to go to mm-hmm. forced to by the government. And a lot of them were missing, buried in unmarked graves. They were taken from their family. They were converted into Christianity against their will. And, um, this is another movement that needs to have attention uh, brought to it. So this is an awesome freaking sticker guys. When we post it, you guys are going to be swarming to try to get on on this giveaway. Yeah. So now again, all of our giveaways are only within the lower 48. We don't have the Patreon up yet, so we can't Mm -hmm. pay for postage for every other place. Yeah. So sorry guys. Yeah. So please follow us on Instagram so you can look out for this post. And then, like I said, we'll post it. It'll be from the 8th till the 15th, December 15th. Um, Yes. So you got about a week to get in on this giveaway and you don't want to miss out. It's a and really it, cool sticker. It's going to be on drop day. It's going to be on the eighth, which is the drop day, which, mm-hmm. you know, we always drop episodes on Thursday, which another thing um, I'm going to look into, maybe we might change the day to see what the best day is for you guys. Cause they're not <gasps> towards the end of the week and we're changing. Uh, well, we could, I don't know. I know I listen to podcasts daily, so mm-hmm. I have a podcast that drops on 
Sunday that I listen to, Monday every day of the week. Okay. And I love it, but it's just like a new treat every every day I get a new download that I could listen to. Cool. So I don't know if you guys are the same way. Yeah. If you're not and you're like, you know, I like to start my week off, so mm-hmm. maybe we could drop it on Sunday or maybe we could drop it off on Monday or something like that. Then, you know, maybe that, we could just look into it and see what that looks like. Yeah. Or even with our uh, bonus episodes for our Patreon, we can drop those on a, on a different day too. Like we said, we're looking at different kind of things. Um for the Patreon. So mm-hmm. another thing I was thinking about is patrons would get the episode a day early. Ooh. So you get the, you get to spoil it for everybody. Though. You get a sneak peek and then post all over the place. Say, <laughs> Hey, that's what you get. If you, if you don't want spoilers, you should be a patron. Yeah. It'll help us out. It'll help you out. You'll mm-hmm. get new stuff. It'll be awesome. Yeah. That'd be a fun idea. And if you want a regular sticker that we have of our logo, we will send those out to you. All you have to do is give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, on um, Apple Podcast, on mm-hmm. Spotify, anything like that, screenshot it. Send us a screenshot to info at beholdnetwork.com and we will send you a sticker. Now, I know some of you guys have written in saying you haven't got our sticker yet. We had a couple of mailing issues. We had to um, get a few more stickers ordered and now we have a full stock. So we're ready to give those out to you guys. And I've been sick and my family's been sick and my <laughs> wife's the one who sends them out. So this week, I promise I will send you guys the stickers out. And like I said, if you haven't gotten a sticker yet and you have written in, I'll verify that you did write in and I'll send you like two or three, four, epi- four stickers of just a regular logo. And if they do, um, if you do get them and they're damaged, just send me a message and say, Hey man, no worries. But you know, they, they showed up and stupid mail bent it or, yeah. it, it, you know, sticker came off or something. And then I'll just send you more. It's fine. Don't worry about that guys. We're, we're, we're just trying to get our stickers out there. So now that we got all that stuff out of the way, guys, we're going to get into today's story. Now today we're going to talk about a little unknown creature to many of you that some call the water panther. Ooh. Now I've never heard of the water panther until we started looking into like different creatures and, and all these different, uh, you know, we're all creatures because mm-hmm. we're, we're indigenous creatures. Um, <laughs> these things are super cool. Well, I've known about this my whole life. I mean, I've done, I've read books. I have not. <laughs> He's been hiding. He's been <laughs> same here. I didn't hear about Give it until your we, knowledge. I didn't hear about it until we uh, brainstormed this episode and we're like, what should we do? And then we found this. Uh, oh, did I say it first? Somebody said it first. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> the Ojibwe call it Mishi Pishu. They say the entity lives near Michpichotin and Manitoulin Island in Lake Superior. I don't know what those mean. I'm not from there. I'm not an. Uh, I'm I, not a Michigani. I tried or, saying those too. A Michiganite. And I fell over. I tripped. So I guess there's a couple islands in Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. So the creature lives there. Yeah. Mishipishu is able to cause storms, waves, and whirlpools. The water spirit, as some call it, travels through underwater tunnels, speaking in a roaring hiss that sounds like rushing water. Mishipishu is an amalgamation of many different animal parts, sort of like a Frankenstein monster of all these animals that you might find in the Great Lakes region. Hmm. Some say Mishipishu has a head and paws of an enormous cat. Meow. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Remember that cat? We had the uh, yeah, yeah. It was the uh, I'm a skinwalker. Meow. Maybe it was a Mishapichu. Meow. The horns of a bison, hmm. the scaly body of a snake, or the feathered body of a bird. It's kind of we're gonna get into it later, but it's kind of either or. Some different people see different kind of things. Yeah. A spiky back and tail, and any other number 
of contrasting characteristics. So it could be just anything. Some say he's about the size of a lynx or a mountain lion, which isn't really that big. Lynx aren't that 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 very big. Mountain lions, you know, we live over here in the mm-hmm. hills. There's not really maybe we've the seen size of like before. A, maybe like a Great Dane. Oh, smaller than that. Oh, really? Yeah. And others say like he's just extremely large. Hmm. Let's talk about the Ojibwe people. Yes. According to the U.S. Census in the United States, Ojibwe people are one of the largest tribal populations among Native American peoples, which is true because I know us, there's not really that many Shumash people. Usually when I tell people, they're like, oh, really? But for some reason, well, we're in California, so I guess it's not for some reason. Everyone knows our creation story. California, man. Yeah, we talk about, I'm like, oh, yeah, Shumash. And they go, oh, the Rainbow Bridge. And I'm like, how do you know that? You're not one of me. No. <laughs> but they teach that stuff here yeah. from all the missions. Like if you grew up in California or central, central Southern California, I don't know about Northern California, mm-hmm. but you know, we always talk about the missions. There's always field trips to different missions. They talk about native culture and stuff like that yeah. around us. As you know, there's not a lot of us left compared to how much there was. No, not even close. And then of course the, the culture got mixed with Mexican culture from the Mexicans coming up and, you know, and mixing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then of course the missions would speak Spanish because there's a lot of Sp- Spanish people and they wouldn't let you speak your language oh, and they yeah, were trying dude. to convert everybody. These so priests were brutal. They would, they would hit the natives and punish them and punish them physically just for speaking their own native language. Right. So a lot of that got washed out. Yeah. Now in Canada, they are the second largest first nation population. And the only, the biggest, obviously, mm-hmm. is the Cree. Oh, yeah. Uh, they are one of the most uh, numerous indigenous people north of the Rio Grande. The population is approximately 320,000 people, with 170,000 people living in the U.S. as of like 2010, and approximately 160,000 living in Canada. In the U.S., there are 77,000 mainland Ojibwe and 76,000 Celto. And 8,700 Missinagua organized in 125 bands. In Canada, they lived from westward Quebec to eastern British Columbia. The Ojibwe language is a branch of the Algonquin language family. They're part of a council of three fires, which also include the Odawa and the Potawatomi. Mm-hmm. They're part of a larger group of Algonquin people. So they were part of the Iron Confederacy with the Cree, Assisaboni, and the Métis. And the Métis, we talked about them before. They're in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into I have a couple stories about the Métis um, later in future episodes. We'll go over there because their culture is, oh, man, it's wild, man. Cool. I love it so much. The Ojibwe are known for their birch bark canoes, birch bark scrolls, because they, they wrote a lot of stuff down. Scrolls? Scrolls. That's interesting. Mining and trade in copper Mm. Mm, copper i'll get into that on my part yes as well as a cultivation of wild rice and drum roll maple syrup Ooh, they would make maple syrup candies oh you got me to putting maple syrup in my coffee yes maple syrup (laughs) you get black coffee but now it's delicious when when i say maple syrup I'm not talking about butter, Mrs. Buttersworth, Mrs. Buttersworth uh, <laughs> syrup. I'm talking about you look at the ingredients. Mm-hmm. It says maple syrup. That's it. it One ingredient: maple syrup and MSG. No, 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 no MSG. <laughs> it just says uh, diabetes. Yeah, delicious. Put that in your black coffee. If you like it a little sweet, 
No creamer, no nothing like that. Oh man, change your life. Maybe Buddy the Elf is uh, OG boy. He might be because he puts syrup on everything. He, oh, <laughs> and his spaghetti. Oh man, yeah. The OG boy signed treaties with settler leaders and surrendered land for settlements in exchange for compensation. This is where a lot of different native tribes differ from the Ojibwe. So the Ojibwe, what they did is they had a stipulation in their treaties. And they said, look, we might not be able to keep our land. Mm. However, we want all the fishing, hunting, and trapping rights on our previous land. And the U.S. government, the Canadian government said, sold. It's very smart. So they're allowed to hunt and, you know, and, and they're still able to use their land, even though um, a lot of the co- mm-hmm. uh, colonists, they just took their land. You know, they, they live on that land now. The Ojibwe, they're also called the Chippewa, if a lot of you guys don't really? know. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're called the Chippewa. So when you hear like the Chippewa, mm-hmm. they're Ojibwe. Oh, okay. And they're Algonquin. Their self-name is Anishinaabe. Hmm. That's their self-name. So if you heard of the Anishinaabe, that's also Ojibwe. Their name for themselves Anishinaabe means original people. Mm. I think we see a trend. Yeah, a lot of tribes tend to do that. Well, if you're the only one around, what or are you going to call yourself? Yeah, or like first people. First or, people. Yeah. The people. Land people. Mm-hmm. Trout. Uh, the What was the, um, the northern Paiute were the people of the, or the trout people or something like that? I think so. Yeah, because what they, they hunted, they, they would fish those cutthroat trout. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're going to name yourself. The Ojibwe moved slowly in small groups following the Great Lakes westward. Um, however, they were more sedentary than um, nomadic. They would set up and just live in an area, but they were all around the Great Lakes. Now, by the time the French arrived in the Great Lakes area in the early 1600s, there was a prophecy that urged them to move westward. They were told in this prophecy to move westward to the land where the food grows on water. Where the food grows on water? Rice. Wild rice. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. I've seen how they cultivate the rice. They... They sit in like a little canoe or something on the river. Birch bark canoes. Yeah. And then they have like a stick and they just like hit the the reeds into mm-hmm. their canoe and it just throws the rice in there. It looks really cool. Yeah. Really, really interesting. I want to eat wild rice. I've never had it. Yeah, that's right. Oh. <laughs> and we're canceled because yeah. we don't like the rice. The Ojibwe has always hunted and fished. They made maple sugar and syrup, like I said before, mm. and they harvested the wild rice. Other food staples of the Ojibwe were fish, obviously maple sugar, mm-hmm. venison, and corn. They grew bean, squash, corn, potatoes, and they foraged for blueberries, blackberries, chokeberries, raspberries, gooseberries, oh, huckleberries, <laughs> all the berries. Got a very berry diet. Oh, it was very good. During the summer, game animal like deer, beaver, moose, goose, duck, rabbit, and bear, they were hunted. Hmm. So these guys had a well-rounded diet. They would eat everything yeah. that was around in that local area. They would eat. I've never had bear, but I don't think I want bear. I don't know. I've had venison once with you, but we you cooked it kind of funky. Oh, <laughs> threw me under the this bus. Like years ago. We should have made jerky out of it. That's venison what we done. steak, and it was like... It was gamey. It was pretty gamey. It was pretty bad. I bit it, and I. Um, I've had venison since then, and I've I've learned my. Way. That was also I used to try to cook brisket, and it was terrible. These you're talking about, like. Yeah, I trust you now. This was like 13 years ago. Oh yeah, I am le chef. Le chef. <laughs> I am. I'm a very good chef now. Yes, I. I, I will support that claim. No, prior to the 20th century, the Ojibwe lived in wigwams and traveled the waterways of the region in birch bark canoes. 
Ojibwe communities were based on clans or dudum, which determined a person's place in Ojibwe society. Different clans represented different aspects of Ojibwe society. For example, political leaders, they came from the loon or crane clan. Well, warriors were traditionally from the bear clan, marten clan or lynx and wolf clan. So these are like fighting animals. Ojibwe theology centered on the belief of a single creator, um, but also incorporated a wide pantheon of spirits that played specific roles like throughout the universe. Mm -hmm. The sweat lodge is still used today during important ceremonies. That was a big part of the rituals. Mm -hmm. And they would recount oral history and stuff like that during these sessions. Teaching lodges are common to teach the next generation about the language and ancient ways of the past. The traditional ways, ideas, and teaching are preserved and practiced in such living ceremonies. Now, here's one that I didn't know. The modern dream catcher. That you know how like all these new age groups, you go to all these new age uh play like there's that there's that one shop in Morro Bay and you walk in and there's oh, like, yeah, there's like uh, tons of tarot cards and incense and crystals and then there's like <laughs> the crystal an entire room of freaking um dream catcher. Yeah, it's like put this crystal under your bed or like rub this crystal on your face. It's all these weird crystals that they wanted you to do. Fertility crystal. <laughs> yeah, they'll also have these crystals that are like Oh, um, here's a dragon, and there's a crystal <laughs> holding this dragon. Yeah, there's like wizards. There's like a bunch of stuff. You know those shop. kind of stores. Yeah. I mean, there's stores like this, shops like this all over the place. Mm -hmm. So those dream catchers that like in this one shop we're talking about, I'm not going to say the name because it's pretty cool. Like people that work there. <laughs> Morro Bay is cool. We don't. Oh wanna, man, we don't want to crap I, on Morro Bay. Yeah, I, I buy stuff from that store. <laughs> After I settled that, I'm like, I bought, I bought some tarot cards there. Oh. Um. I'm sidetracked, but uh, <laughs> those those are the, like the new age groups. You see that they kind of like uh, appropriated this mm -hmm. um, dream catcher thing. And okay, coming back on, going back to the <laughs> story. So the dream catcher it originated in the Ojibwe. It was a spiderweb charm, a hoop with woven strings, meant to rep replicate a spiderweb, used as a protective charm for infants, according to an Ojibwe legend. The protective charm originated with the spider woman known as Askabashakashi, hmm. who takes care of the children and the people on the land. And as the Ojibwe nation spread to the corners of North America, it became difficult for this entity to reach all the children. So the mothers and grandmothers wove webs for the children, and they were explicitly connected to the dreams. Hmm. So that's pretty neat just to hear that that's where the dream catchers came from. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. And in Ojibwe tradition, the main task after a death, this is about their death rituals. I really like this. It's to bury the body as soon as possible. The very next day or even on the day of the death, if it is possible. Hmm. This was important because it allowed the spirits of the dead to journey to its place of joy and happiness. So when one of your loved ones die, you don't want them to just kind of be their spirit to be restless. Mm -hmm. You want them to find their way back. That's all we have. We wear red on certain days and there's this movement where the uh, missing murder indigenous women and you know, you want them to, the spirits can see red. So you want them to see you so you can help them find their journey back to our, our ancestors. Yeah. You want them to be happy. So in this tradition, as soon as you die, they're like, oh, get them in the ground. And if we can't do it today, we're doing it tomorrow because you want them to find their happy place. This was a journey that took four days to get to the, you know, to get to the land where the happiness of the dead reside. 
If buried preparations could not be completed within the day of the death, guests and medicine men were required to stay with the deceased and family in order to help mourn, while also singing songs and dancing throughout the night. Once preparations were completed, the body would be placed in a position with their knees towards their chest. It is customary to have food kept alongside the grave at all times. A fire is set when the sun sets, and it's kept going throughout the night. The food is to help feed the spirit over the course of the four-day journey. Hmm. While the smoke from the fire is a directional guide. So wherever the wind blows, it's taking the fi- it's taking the smoke, and that's the path the spirits need to follow. Once a four-day journey is over, a feast is held, which is led by the chief medicine men. At the feast, it is the chief medicine man's duty to give away certain belongings of the deceased. Those that were chosen to receive items from the deceased are required to trade in a new piece of clothing, all of which would be turned into this this like giant bundle. The bundle of new clothes and a special dish is given to the closest relative. The recipient of the bundle must then find individuals that he or she believes to be worthy of these gifts, and they would pass on this new piece of clothing to that one individual. Hmm. That's a very good tradition. So are they burning the body? Or they're lighting a fire beside. Let's take a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. They're lighting a fire and then the smoke that the fire provides Mm -hmm. is the path that the spirit is going to take to the happy place. Oh, okay. And the food is kept there for four days Mm -hmm. because... The spirit needs to find its way to the the happy place driven by the smoke, but it's a four day journey. Okay. So they're taking all the, they're telling them, you know, it's kind of like um, if you do like Dia de los Muertos or something like that, mm-hmm. where you're bringing all their special foods that they liked in, in life and you're doing a ceremony and everyone's dancing, you're celebrating. I know when I pass, I really hope everyone just has a huge party <laughs> um, and not just because I'm an asshole because um <laughs> I want them to do all the good things that I like to do. Strippers. And, and uh, what else? Hookahs, <laughs> cocaine. Oh, God. It'll probably be legal by then. All kinds of stuff. But I would hope that people would just say, you know what? He lived a great life. He was a good man. That's what we all thrive for. He was a good father. He was a good husband. And um, we're here to celebrate. And yeah. that's all you could ask for. Of course, you're going to be so- sad because mm-hmm. I would love to talk to some of my loved ones who passed like at least one more time yeah. because you never know when it's your last time you ever speak with someone before. That's why you got to live your life, man. Yeah. And a lot of indigenous cultures do this with their loved ones past. They don't, instead of mourning like sad, they kind of do it as a celebration in a way of celebrating their life. Well, they're going to another place, mm-hmm. which is going to be better for them. Yeah. Now among the Ojibwe, Honor and prestige came with generosity. The Ojibwe people were very generous. They were very trusting people. They were giving people. Ojibwe culture and society was structured around giving and receiving. During a ceremony reinforced with an exchange of gifts, parties fulfilled the social expectations of kinship and agreed to maintain a reciprocal relationship of mutual assistance and obligation. 
there many fur traders and later Europeans and American government officials, they would use gift giving to help establish an economical and a diplomatic like ties to the various Ojibwe communities. So if you help me out, I help you out. I'm going to give you this fur in an act of trust and faith. And I'm going to show you that I respect you. I'm giving you this special item. And then the Ojibwe people would take it. They accepted the gift and they would give a gift in return, whether it be land rights, hunting rights, um, also use of their rivers, anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a very good, uh, They would, there was a lot of back and forth. Now, here's the problem. They would trust. Oh, okay. Take your word for it. They're, which. Yeah. Can't always do that. You can't. <laughs> Throughout the uh, fur trade era, the Ojibwe valued their relationships with the Dakota above those they maintained with European Americans. So the Dakota, those were like their bros. They were always with Dakota. Historians, they have like frequent sightings of uh, conflict between the Ojibwe and the Dakota, but you know, mostly it was peaceful. It's little factions here and there, little groups break off and they argue and fight like that. But like for the most part, um, the two people are more often in peace than at war. In 1679, the Ojibwe and the Dakota, they formed an alliance for peaceful diplomacy um, in Minnesota. And the Ojibwe agreed to provide the Dakota with fur trade goods and in return, the Dakota permitted the Ojibwe to move westward towards the Mississippi River. So like I said, they, they give each other gifts and they trade and stuff like that. It's more it's for passage. And this peace treaty lasted for over 57 years. Mm-hmm. And the Ojibwe and the Dakota, they often hunted together, created families together, shared their religious experiences together, and they prospered for a long time. However, when everything started to like really go upside down and the colonists were coming in and pushing everybody, land became kind of scarce. Different treaties were signed with different uh, clans and different tribes. There became a big conflict between the Dakota and the Ojibwe. And by the middle of the 1800s, both tribes were kind of like, they kind of split away from each other and they weren't really friends anymore. Oh, okay. But it was because of the surge of European settlers that came across everywhere. And that was a little history of the Ojibwe. So let's talk about the underwater panther. So I have one little story. And after that, I'll give it to you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I hope you enjoy listening to me talk. I, I sound <laughs> like, I feel like I'm sounding a little better at least, or at least I'm more, you can understand what I'm saying. However, it's, it's, it's been a little rough to say the least. So the underwater panther. So this is a story from the Ojibwe. There once was a big lake where, Indians lived all around it. In the middle of the lake, there was a big island of mud, which made it impossible just to paddle straight across the lake. So if someone in the village wanted to go to the opposite side, they would have to paddle all around the edge of the lake. They stayed away from the island of mud because of a bad manito. This is what it's called. This is what they call it. It's a bad, I think it's a word for monster. Hmm. It's like a lake monster. So I'll just say monster from now on. One day, one of the villages was holding a dance and the people from the other side of the lake started out on their canoes coming around the edge of the lake. Two women were going out late after everyone else had already gone. The two women were sister-in-laws and one of them was rather foolish. She was steering the canoe and headed straight across the lake to the island of mud because she was trying to get there quickly. The other warned her not to do it, but it didn't do any good because she was stubborn. The first girl carried a little cedar paddle with her, but did not use it to paddle. She carried it everywhere with her while she was on the lake. As they got to the middle of the lake, they started across the island of mud. And in the center of the mud, they saw a hole with clear water. 
The water was swirling around like a whirlpool, and they started to cross that bit of open water. A panther came out and twitched his tail across the boat and tried to turn them over. The girl picked up her little cedar paddle that she always carried with her and hit the panther's tail with it. As she hit it, she said, Thunder is striking you. The paddle cut off the panther's tail where she had hit it, and the end dropped into the boat. It was a solid piece of copper about two inches thick. The panther ran away through the mud. Then they laughed out really hard. One girl said, I guess I scared him off. He won't bother us again, will he? When they got across, the girl gave the piece of copper to her father. The copper tail was of the underwater panther, and it had magical powers. Everyone wanted a little piece of the tail to carry for luck in hunting and fishing, and people would give her father a blanket for a tiny piece of copper. Her family became very rich from the tail of the underwater panther. Hmm. That's pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. Because, as we'll get into it, a precious metal that the underwater panther loves is... Copper. Copper. So she smacked him with that cedar paddle. So she seemed to be a very smart girl, and she probably listened to her father a lot because he probably said... Every time you go out on the lake, you carry that little cedar paddle with you. And you do this if that panther comes out. But don't go towards the island of mud because he's going to be there. And you'd rather just take your time instead Mm -hmm. of speeding across. So she was probably not the dumb one. She was probably the one that was like, let's go around the lake. And the other girl's like, let's go. We got to (laughs) get, we got the dance is starting. We got to get to the dance. So they became very rich from the copper. That's a interesting story. I like it. It's pretty short and sweet. Pretty good. And now I'm going to pass this over to Gabriel because I need a break (laughs) of speaking. Rest that beautiful singing voice. And hopefully next week I sound a lot better. Hopefully. Trying to drink some teas, some herbs, some herbs. Ooh, some herbs. Some herbs. Mostly tequila, vodka. (laughs) That's a good herb. Gin. That's a, what's it called? It's potatoes. It's, um. Aloe vera. No. Oh, I should drink some aloe vera. You could uh, drink aloe vera? I drink aloe vera all the time. Ooh, it's mucusy. Oh, it tastes, no, it's a gelatinous fiber. That's gross. No, it helps coat everything, and then it'll... <laughs> no, I'm um, not doubting its properties, but the texture oh. is like a uh, mocos. I'm going to make you an aloe vera drink, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're just going to be outside hacking aloe vera, drinking it. You're going to be like, oh, man, he was right. Probably. So I got you some growing it, in the front. You can put it on your face. Oh, yeah, from us. Mm-hmm. We have so much aloe vera at our house. You can put it on your face. You put it on your hair. You put it, it's it's like a oh. it's like um Mexicans with Vicks. You you could do it with anything. <laughs> put it on your dog. Put, put it on, on your dog. Yeah, you eat a little bit. Put it around your ear. Put it on your feet. Put it on your toes. It'll do everything. <laughs> okay. It's a magical magical plant. I believe you. The underwater panther, also known as the great lynx, some say it has the head and paws of a giant cat, but it is covered in scales and has dagger-like spikes running along its back and tail. This thing sounds like a Pokemon. It does. I'm thinking of uh, um, Gyarados. <laughs> oh, though that's yeah the the um, the carp, the magic carp, the carp that turns into like the big Gyarados. Yeah, yeah that's a real thing in Japanese lore. I have one. Oh no, <laughs> I don't have one. I don't play Pokemon Go. Oh, the underwater panther calls Michi Picoten Island in Lake Superior his home, and is a powerful creature in the myth- mythological traditions of some Native American tribes particularly Anishinaabe tribes, the Ottawa tribe, Ojibwe tribe, and Potawatomi tribe of the Great Lakes region of Canada and the United States. 
But we haven't talked about... We've only talked about the OG boys so far. We haven't talked about the other ones on the show. Nope, not yet. Yeah, so... We're getting to them, though. Yeah, down the line, we'll do future episodes. Trust us. Oh, it's all about... Maybe they're all youpers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and the youpers. Youpers, the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, that just sounds weird to say youpers. I, there was a lot of people who didn't know what youpers were. I didn't. Oh, I have a friend from Wisconsin that I've... Yeah, and he was always talking about the youpers. Oh, maybe that's why. He would always say jokes, and he'd be like, how many youpers does it take a screw in the light bulb? I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't think you're speaking English. And then he would laugh and say a joke, and I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's like I'm from California, joke. dude. Like, <laughs> And you say, dude. Do you want to go like surfing, bro? Like, what do you want to do? <laughs> to the Algonquians, the underwater panther was the most powerful underwater being. The Ojibwe traditionally held him to be masters of all underwater creatures. Some versions of the Nanabujo creation legend refers to the whole community of underwater lynx. So the Nanabujo, I didn't know about them before, but while I was doing research, they believe in their creation story that their whole community like derives from these underwater panthers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's pretty that's a pretty cool creation story in my opinion. Man, I'd have water panthers all tattooed on my body if we had a cool <laughs> panther. I'm getting a condor on my arm, so Oh, the condor. I'm getting a condor on my arm. Underwater panthers are represented with especially long tails, occasionally with serpentine properties. Or serpentine. Serpentine, serpentine. Serpentine, serpentine, serpentine. (laughs) The creatures are thought to roar or hiss in the sound of storms or rushing rapids. That's terrifying. Man, I love all these creatures. It reminds me of like the water babies when you're like, you'll be out there. Yeah. And it might be the... The waves, but it sounds like babies crying. Yeah, I've never been on a lake fishing or even the ocean where it's like a storm. I don't know if you have. Yeah, I have. And yeah. like, or we used to go camping in North Carolina all the time. Where a storm uh, brute started. There, yeah, there'd be a huge. There was a huge lake. I don't remember. It was close to Asheville. I don't remember the name of the lake. Hmm. But we would go camping there all the time, and you could have your camp set up twenty feet from the water, and it's just blown away. And it's just like, it's awesome. So like the oh. shore, the shoreline was 20 feet away. Oh, okay. So all of a sudden it's North Carolina. So there's a storm in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's storming every other day. So you're in a tent. You got your rain shield on that stuff. You got, hopefully you got tacked that tent down. Cause yeah. if not, um, you play spades in it you would play, we'd play card games. We'd <laughs> like do all our stuff and then hang out in the tent. So you would hear it and you could hear all the trees. You could hear all the water. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh gosh, good thing we locked everything up. Cause yeah. our stuff would be blowing away. But I could, if you heard that kind of hiss, you could tell the difference between wind blowing and like the reeds and the, and the, and the leaves and the trees and stuff versus mm-hmm. a hiss. If I heard a hiss, I'm like, all right, <laughs> we're cutting the trip short. <laughs> I'm out of here. Oh no. I was like, 21 so i think i was stupid and had, oh, like, you i had like, this huge like blade that my hand could go into like wolverine like wolverine <laughs> and i was like i will kill every I was, oh god you were invincible back then i was invincible oh yeah well you're still here so yeah you were correct yes they were said to live in the deepest parts of lakes and rivers where they can cause storms some traditions believed the underwater panthers to be helpful, protective creatures, but more often they were viewed as malevolent beasts that brought death and misfortune. I don't know, man. I like this creature. It's very interesting to me. If I seen one, I'd probably take a picture, Snapchat, TikTok, do something. Like, hey, yo. And then I so fall in the water. I'm doing live right now. Hey, I'm on Instagram <laughs> live, y'all. So um, if you guys see right now, 
There's a uh, there's a guy over there. He's the and it's just this little kid in like a little seal suit and it's going <laughs> up and down in the water, up and down, up and down, up and down. You're like, see, I told you he's real. All right, follow me, like, subscribe, <laughs> um, follow my podcast, and then turn into Hank Hill. Boy, just fall over. <laughs> As late as the 1950s, the Prairie Band of Potawatomi Indians performed a traditional ceremony to placate the underwater panther and maintain balance with the Thunderbird. So I didn't know this. When I was doing research for the underwater panther, it's kind of like yin and yang with, yeah, the, I saw that. with the Thunderbird. It kind of goes like back and forth. That's really cool. When anthographer Johann George Cole visited the United States in the 1850s. Johann. Johan George <laughs> is Johan. He Johan uh, Schmohan. Johan Johan George. He visited the United States in the 1850s. He spoke with a Fond de Lou chief. So that's another tribe, Fond de Lou or Fond de La, who showed Cole a piece of copper kept in his medicine bag. The chief said it was a strand of hair. From the Mishapishu, and thus considered extremely powerful. It was part of the tale. Oh, yeah. And that story that I told, it was part of the tale. So this guy had a piece of hair, and he kept it in his medicine bag. He must have been showing it off. He's like, well, that's what the story said. It said that they would yeah. they would chip out pieces of that copper, mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to keep like some kind of thing to be like their um, little talisman or little um, trinket or yeah. charm, if you will, mm-hmm. when they go hunting and to keep their, their tribe safe. Very That's awesome. Mishapishu is known for guarding the vast amounts of copper in Lake Superior and the Great Lakes region. Indigenous people mined copper long before the arrival of Europeans to the area. Later, during the 17th century, missionaries of the Society of Jesus arrived in the Great Lakes region. That was a, that was <laughs> a very lazy naming i guess the people who name things that day they were out of town or they were on vacation because what are we going to be oh well, i don't know uh what do you believe in they uh Jesus. oh bartholomew he's his team they're they're on missionary in some other place so what do you want to i don't know jesus group we're the society of jesus society of jesus correct and, and you will call us as such <laughs> yeah that's a very lazy name very lazy so the society of jesus arrived in the great lakes region and by that time Swiping copper from the region was extremely taboo and forbidden by the Ojibwe tribe. It was even worse to take it from the Mishapishu's home, Michipikotan Island. This was considered to be stealing from the Mishapishu himself. In my opinion, this would be like the equivalent of of digging up like an Indian burial ground. Yeah, the uh, Jesus wanted copper <laughs> for his Jesus hearts and his Jesus uh, headbands. The missionaries wanted had, copper. They had Jesus swag. Mm-hmm. They're all over there. He had the guy in the corner. He had the shirts up. He's all, oh, come on now. Got real copper on it. <laughs> Jesus copper. Come on. He's all two for five. Two for five. He's all, what? All what? right. Three for 25. <laughs> hey, that, no, 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 no. That doesn't. No, it's Jesus copper. It's, oh, it's Jesus copper. Ooh. Oh, oh, I might get into heaven. Maybe just for having some copper. Yeah. Stolen copper. Hmm. Even that's funny because I was, um, I think you watched it too. Reservation Dogs. Oh yeah, I watched both seasons. Yep. Yeah, there awesome. was like the the guy that was making like little copper statues oh, little, yeah. of like men. So I I didn't know that that copper was like a precious metal to some indigenous groups. There you go. Yeah, it's very cool. There are a few stories of encounters with this great beast. The Jesu missionaries, that is French Jesus. French? Oh, he sounds fancy. <laughs> He's Jesu. Yeah, Jesu. <laughs> the missionary from this group named Claude Dablon 
told a story about four Ojibwe Indians who embarked on a journey to the home of Mishapishu to take some copper back to their home. Oh, is it like, does it have like medicinal properties or? Uh, I think they just went to go find some copper. (laughs) I have a headache. Well, they were trying to take your copper. (laughs) They were trying to use the the copper to uh, use it to heat their water. Oh, because you know those so, like water the yep the copper yeah. tubing. So, so the natives were keeping it for ceremonial and magical and medicinal purposes, mm-hmm. and then the other groups are coming in and they're like, "You guys are dumb." So I need to uh, heat my water to heat my baguettes. Oh well, you can't have cold baguettes. You can't. Oh, they're gross. I'll tell you what. Man, I love a baguette. They're delicious. So maybe in their defense, they weren't seeing it as a precious metal. They were just like, we need to just use these resources. We're gonna steal your yeah, yeah. We're steal your metals. <laughs> that makes sense. The very second they pushed off and backed into the water with their canoe, the eerie voice of the water panther surrounded them. The water panther came growling after them, vigorously accusing them of stealing the playthings of his children. So they messed up right away. They shouldn't have even attempted to take this copper. So, hey, guys, <laughs> what are you doing? These are the playthings of my children. What are you, come, what are you doing? What are you doing? They were all, oh, you shall not take this copper from me. Mm, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> so I need about tree fitting. <laughs> I need about tree fitting. Yeah. I know you damn Loch Ness monster came out of here. You want to the tree fitting? <laughs> the Loch Ness monster, completely different area. But they probably thought that's what it was. Now, all four of the Indians who were on board died on the way back to their village. The last one surviving just long enough to tell the tale of what had happened in his final moments before he died. So the na- the the indigenous people that were with them probably knew what was going on. I don't know how they kind of cohorted them to go on the trip with the French missionaries, but. They were with them. Well, they were probably like, hey, can you take us here? And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't go directly there, mm-hmm. but we go around like <laughs> our stories tell us. They yeah. go, no, 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 no. We're going to go here. And they go, no, no, no. You can go there. So Jesui has told me so. We will be on the backside. Mm-hmm. And then they came up to the island probably without the natives. They were probably in different canoes. Oh, maybe. And they just pointed and said, "You're gonna, they're going to get you. Don't go over there. And then the French guys got there. And then all of a sudden, this Girl Scout popped up from the island. <laughs> Samoas. And she was she was there and she goes, I have um I have a few boxes of cookies left. <laughs> if you would please purchase them so I could go on my trip. Oh, I like Girl Scout cookies. And then the French people are like, Okay, well, how much do they cost? They said, About tree fifty. About tree fifty de blooms. And he goes, About tree fifty. And he goes, that's when I knew it was that dang old Lochtus monster. Oh, he was coming around. He went, oh, tree fitty. That's what he was doing. So, Nessie, if you don't get out of here. Said, I thought I was finding the water panther, and I found the OG boy, Nessie. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. And he later. needed about tree fitty. Tree fitty. Now, this is an interesting fact that I found. During the 1840s, there was a copper rush. So people there had realized that the value of copper, which was for the taking around Isle Royale and Kiwina Peninsula, there was great suffering and accidents to which many key people and vessels fell victim. There was great suffering and accidents. Another ship by the name of Algama was sunk in a storm during 1885. 
and 45 people sunk to the watery death in the creature's lair. So this place is very famous for sunken ships. Historical Anishinaabe twin and coiled men's bags often feature an underwater panther on one panel and the Thunderbird on another. Oh, have you seen these pictographs? They're yeah, so they're so cool. Awesome. Now, okay, I'm going to talk about this guy, Norval Redenbacher. No, <laughs> not the popcorn dude. Oh, that's Orval. Oh, Norval Marisieux. Oh, he is the French. Well, he's 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 a painter artist. Of the Ojibwe people, and he painted underwater panthers in his woodland style artwork. Contemporary paintings based on Ojibwe oral history and cosmology. So, also, I don't know if you read this too, but the Ojibwe people were big on like cosmology yep. and like the stars mm-hmm. and all these different things, which is really cool. I just didn't want to get into a lot of it because my voice is all dumb. Oh, he's all in the. <laughs> We'll have to get, we'll have to do a recap or something like North that. Star. Maybe it'll be a bonus episode where we'll go. Let's deep dive into all these cultures. Yeah, maybe because um, I'm not doing great today. Oh, now this guy was not just some artist. He was part of the group of seven. Do you know what that is? Um, <laughs> seven was it the seven um, brides for no. seven brothers? No. Um, the seven stars in the sky. <laughs> no, the the magnificent seven. That would be a cool. <laughs> that would be a cool group to be a part of. No, oh, okay. No. I don't know. So the group of seven was a group of First Nations artists from Canada, with one from the United States. Founded in November 1973, they were Indigenous painters who exhibited in the larger art world and were well respected and admired all throughout the world. Were they so, Métis? What Métis tribe? Uh, I didn't see that. I don't know. I'm not because sure. that's the uh, um, the French. Oh, maybe I'm not sure. Oh. But this group was a very well known group of artists that pretty much they would put their artwork against Van Gogh or Picasso. Oh, okay. And they were a group of indigenous artists. So I just thought that was a really cool fact. That's awesome. Yeah. When Norval was 19 years old, he became very sick. And his mother had a medicine woman perform a renaming ceremony where he was renamed Copper Thunderbird. That is just a badass name. Man, I want a name like that. Copper Thunderbird. I would be Big Dan. <laughs> big Big Dan drinks a lot. <laughs> I don't know the first thing you don't mind. I'm not a Dan. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know where Dan came know. from. I don't know. <laughs> Big John Wilcock. (laughs) We're still coming up with the names. Gabriel is feathers with hair. Oh, I used to have hair. Oh, yeah. You're bald now. He's bald. bald. (laughs) Completely bald. I am Uncle Fester lookalike. Oh, yeah. He he is (laughs) Slick Rick. (laughs) Completely bald. Except I haven't. No eyebrows. He looks like a seal, folks. Yes. No eyebrows, no hair. <laughs> yes. Tell them lies. I'm lying again because you are my friends. Now, I told you I lied to my friends, <laughs> but I tell you that I lie. I believe you. It is believed that when giving a dying... Pr- okay, so this is something that holds deep to the Ojibwe culture. It is believed that when giving a dying person a powerful name in this ceremony, it will give them new energy and it can save their life. This, in fact, was the case because... Norval fully recovered after the ceremony, and from then on, he signed his name 
on his paintings as Copper Thunderbird. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll post pictures on the Instagram um, from some of his art and some of the uh, depictions of the Mishapishu or Underwater Panther that he did. These are awesome paintings. So yeah, he did a full-on... Well, his mother did a full-on renaming ceremony, and it seemed to work. Renamed him a powerful name as Copper Thunderbird, and he got better. That is just amazing. So he is no longer Norval. Yeah. Well, I think he, I think he passed away because this was way back when. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Mm. I hope if he's not, then <laughs> we need to all rename everyone. Yeah, we will live up. forever. <laughs> so the Canadian Museum of History includes an underwater panther in its coat of arms. In 2003, archaeologist Brad Lepper suggests that the alligator effigy mound in Granville, Ohio, represents the underwater panther. I looked this up, and they kind of thought that the Ojibwe people were mistaking the creature that they were seeing as an alligator. So now that's their like coat of arms. But when you see it, you're like, that is not an alligator. It's just like everything I've I've looked up before. You would have like depictions of uh, flying saucers mm-hmm. or aliens or thunderbirds. Like we talked about thunderbirds. Yeah. These giant birds. You're telling me these people did not know what a bird was. Of course, they know what birds are. They eat them all the time. They shoot them. They, they, <laughs> they eat them all the time. They, well, they would, they would hunt them. They would, um, they would use them as their part of their totems. Mm-hmm. They would be part of their clans. They would be sacred beings. So you're telling me they don't know what those are? Of course they know what they are. So why don't you take their word for it? Because science. They want to know everything. And it says leper posits that early European settlers, when learning from Native Americans, that the mound represented a fierce creature that lived in the water and ate people, mistakenly assumed that the Native Americans were referring to an alligator. Oh, so he postulated. That makes yeah. no sense. So, so he, he guessed. We'll post pictures of their uh, coat of arms the Canadian Museum of History's coat of arms. It looks... That sounds like Gil. <laughs> so, well, actually, Oscar from The Office, actually, that yeah, was an alligator. I think it was Gil. It was an alligator, um, the Latin word for alligator. Go back to your mother's basement, <laughs> Gil. Stop. Yeah. Leave the... Stop trying to find Oscar. It's like trying was to... Was it Oscar? Pedro. Pedro. Pedro the Pedro. Stop trying to find Pedro. Yeah. Now he so he's over here flaming up the Ojibwe <laughs> because he's like, oh, it must have been an alligator. But you're over there trying to find Pedro. Yeah, and they've actually made their this their seal of arms. It looks really cool. He's all well actually, if you look at the scientific um uh the the way the body is set up, and if you look at the way it has four arms, a quadruped, if you will. That it will, (laughs) that it has, it has a head, a tail, and forearms. I think he thinks that it's Chiquita, and I think he thinks that it's Pedro, (laughs) and he's sad, so he's just blasting everybody because he wants it to, he wants to find Pedro. In 2003, that's not that long ago. You would think. But hey, guys, uh, I'm the Goodman. I'm I'm the Goodman, and I got Pedro. I told you I got the Pedro, and everybody wants, everyone thinks that, uh, this guy, Gil, he thinks that, uh, you know, that Pedro's gone. He's missing. I'm not going to show him where the where Pedro is. <laughs> I told you. I, all right. $25 million. Oh, God. That, that's it, was, it was 2.5, 25. He's gone up a lot. I told. Well, inflation. Inflation, yeah. Inflation's got, gone up. It's getting all of us. 
the president said inflation. I don't know. I don't. I don't listen to the president because <laughs> he doesn't pay me. He doesn't pay any of us. We pay him, mm-hmm. and then prices go up. So, uh, you know, uh, what I'm gonna need is I'll take crypto. It crashed. It's bad. It's real bad. Crypto's bad. Yeah, crypto's not doing good. I'll take one Bitcoin <laughs> every day for 35 years. Oh, jeez. I don't. I don't know if I'll take that deal, but. He's trying to hustle. Yeah, he's trying to get you. Trying to put kids through college, I guess. Mm-hmm. Grandkids through college. Yeah. Great grandkids through college. He was old. Yeah. Poor Gil. Now, this place that I found is not Lake Superior, but it's close. Located south of Baraboo in Suwak County, Wisconsin, Devil's Lake. Have you ever heard of that? Devil's Lake, yep. Okay. Devil's Lake is a place of natural wonder and legend. The central feature of the biggest state park in Wisconsin. Devil's Lake covers 360 acres surrounded by quartzite bluffs reaching 500 feet or 152 meters for those not on the metric system in height. You mean in the metric system or or in in the the imperial? (sighs) Look, it's all subjective. All right. No, no, it's not. In 1832, a French agent of the American fur company named John de la Ronde visited the lake and noted that it was the echo effects of the bluffs and the darkness of the place, which inspired the French voyagers to use the name Devil's Lake. Diablo. So I find it interesting when all of these like intellectuals or anyone that's part of like a society or whatever go to these places and they're just like, no, it's the echo or it's like they try to find a they try to legitimize the spookiness of it instead it's of it's light refla- refracting off of swamp gas. Yeah, they're not believers. No. <laughs> the fractals, if you will. Yeah. I think it's a uh, men in black. <laughs> the men in black are real. Are they from the government? I believe they're real. Oh no. <laughs> oh god. They're going to take over our podcast and shut us down. Laurent also mentioned an older indigenous tradition. And I quote, the Indians gave it the holy name, holy water, declaring that there is a spirit of Manitou that resides there. I saw a quantity of tobacco deposits there from the Manitou, the Indians, end quote, who considered the lake sacred or the uh, Sawin. I think I'm saying that right. Suin, who speak Ho-Chunk. Do you know about the Ho-Chunk people? Nope. Okay. I tried to do some research, but I couldn't really find too much about them. So the Ho-Chunk people and their beliefs concerning the lake were part of an ancient and widespread cosmological model of the eastern woodlands, the Great Lakes, and the Plains. So maybe that's something we'll get into on a future episode. Oh, I love it. More episodes coming your way. (laughs) But of all the North American Great Lakes, Lake Superior is the biggest. In fact, this huge lake expanse of water is the largest in the world in terms of surface area. It is. It's so big. I'm scared. Because what uh, on our Water Baby episode, that lake... Um, I Pyramid Lake? Pyramid Lake. That lake was huge. Oh, this is way bigger. But this Pyramid is lake. like... This just swallows that lake. My buddy, uh, like I said, my buddy from Wisconsin, he... Uh, 
he was funny. We were in North Carolina, and he's like, I was like, dude, we're going to, uh, oh, man, I'm so California. I'm all, dude, we're going to the we're going to the beach, man. We're going to hit the waves. And he's all, you're going to the beach? And I go, yeah, we're going to, uh, they were going to Myrtle Beach or something like that. Or I think we're in Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach? And That's goes, not California. Well, it was when I was in California. Oh. And he goes, uh, or when I was in North Carolina. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, I said, You've been to the beach before, right? Because you're like part of like the middle. Mm-hmm. I can never live in the middle of anywhere. I have to be by the coast. And he goes, yeah, we used to go to the beach all the time. And I'm like, oh, where'd you go? Like Virginia Beach. Um, you know, I'm thinking like maybe northeast. Yeah, like, like that. the ocean. Or maybe they did a trip to Florida or something like that. And he goes, oh, no, we'd go to the Great Lakes. And I go, that's not the beach. So and they goes, call that the beach? Well, it's so huge. You would have a. But a beachfront, you would know. Well, yeah, but you have I mean, a beachfront, you have waves. You don't have like California waves, but you have like rippling yeah. waves, I guess. So we, yeah, <laughs> ours were like, brah, <laughs> come on, brah. Yeah. Every time the wave goes by, that's what it sounds like, brah. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, or the wa- brah, yeah, Whoa. tubular, yeah, man, we gotta like. We got to like just hang out and just be free, man. You know, like I haven't met a single person that talks like that from California. Really? <laughs> Unless they're like super stoned and they're not. From the guy here. from as high as I am talks like that. Okay. He actually does. Oh, his, sto- his shop is called as high as I am. I guess I'm dumb. Yeah. That's Moral a, Bay. He's all bro. I, you know, I just got a new house and I'm like, oh yeah, you did. Cool. Where where you living in like Los Osos? Are you living in Moral Bay or. Maybe up by like like Cayucas. What do you, and he goes <laughs> right on the bay, bro. So no, and it's I my go, van, bro. On the bay, and I'm like, there's no houses on the bay. And he goes, no, I got a boat. I'm living in a boat in the bay, dude. That's the dream. I tell you. And he goes, oh man, those waves, like you just, oh, put you right to sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I I want to record you. You're <laughs> you are night. Well, he's like fifty, so. That would be he's like in the sweet spot. Nineteen eighties, nineteen early nineties, twenties, California, bra. Yeah, so dude sub- is bra. So subscribe to our Patreon so we can live on the coast. <laughs> bra, oh, what happened, bra? Bra. This massive lake acts like an island sea, boasting its own tide. I told you. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that this makes is sense. like a beach. Yeah, That's what like, I hey, said. My buddy's beach. like, we're going to the beach. Yeah, it's so vast that. It actually is like a beach. Yeah, and and also, because that makes sense, local surfers make especially good use of their waves. There you go. So people surf at Lake Superior. I didn't know that. I did. Okay, so you're better than me. I've lived a long, <laughs> long life. I'm tired. Guys, I'm so I've tired. i this lonely road, the only oh. one. <laughs> as well as being the largest, it also happens to be one of the most mysterious, with lots of strange things happening on it and around it. You'd expect shipwrecks on a lake that behaves like an ocean, but the numbers for this lake are unusually high numbers, with almost 10,000 lives that have been lost to her waters. On Thursday, August 26, 1886, the Manitowoc pilot published an article titled A Lake Superior Monster. The article itself wasn't very long, no more than a few hundred words, and the tightly packed column was void of all drawings and references within its margins the article described an encounter between an unlucky man and a monster that has 
as far as we can tell, only been described once. The creature, which differs greatly from all recognized depictions of Meshapeshu, seems to be something entirely unique. The story begins with a group of copper mine prospectors landing on one of the islands within Lake Superior. The article does not state which one, nor does it make clear if it is to Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, or Canada. Because of the history of mining in Superior, though, we're going to say that it is more than likely Michigan or Canada. Anyway, the miners landed on the unknown island and started searching for signs of copper. When they found none on the surface, they got their equipment together and began looking for underwater rock formations, which indicated the presence of copper. Believing they may have found something of interest, the men decided to set up camp and remain on the island so they could have a full, uninterrupted day of searching within the lake itself. That night, though, something arrived at the island that caused the men to wonder if they should even be there at all. They messed up. They shouldn't. Don't go out looking at Lake Superior for copper. Just don't. Man, this must be like high copper deposits. Do you have the information of the deposits for copper there? I don't have that, but I'm going to look it up later because I want to know personally, like how much copper. Considering the California Gold Rush and how many people were here, and they can they compare it to the copper rush. I would imagine it's a lot. Yeah, it has to be a lot. I yeah. mean, we could still right now go to Kern, uh, go to. Uh, yeah, the Kern River and still panhandle for gold. Yeah, you could just, or I mean, just panhandle, obviously. <laughs> panhandle. Hey, we'll hey. take gold for a day's work. Hey, I need some gold. <laughs> hey, you got some hot dogs over there? My family's hungry, even though it's hey, just me. You got some masada? You got masada ta- <laughs> tacos? Because we know where we live. Yeah. Hey, we, they got the taco truck? But you could take like a handful of dirt, pan it, and you could probably find like a you couple can, of flakes of gold, oh, just easily. You can find a lot. So at, at uh, Lake Superior, I imagine you can find copper like wow. very easily. While the men camped close to the water's edge, the damp wind of the lake made it its business to try to extinguish the fire. Constantly on the verge of going out, the main source of heat and light needed to be fed constantly, or else darkness would yet again creep back into the island. Seeing that the ever-hungry flames could use another log, one of the men rose to toss in another log, but when he stood up, he caught sight of something strange moving through the water. There within the darkness of the lake was a bright green light moving slowly and spreading out nearly 30 feet in diameter. While the sight was both beautiful and mesmerizing to most of men, it caused them to rise and move as close to the water as possible. One of the members in the group remembered stories he had heard, which had been told by the tribes living around the lake. The ones about a powerful creature living within the water, a creature that could easily snatch unsuspecting men right from the shore and drag them down to the bottom in order to consume them. Terrible, terrible stories about Mishapeshu. And then he walked up and he was like, I need about tree feeding. <laughs> Tree fitty and you know, I, I need about tree fitty. All the copper. And then I realized that that was that dang old Loch Ness monster. <laughs> oh God! And he was out there trying to act like Michu Michu Pichu <laughs> or Michu Pichu's. I know what that is. And it was a Loch Ness monster. <laughs> I'm not giving you tree fitty. So hey, boy, oh, it's a Loch Ness monster. That's not even close to a gallon of gas. <laughs> 
It's not these days. With his fear now approaching its limit, the lone miner urged his fellow cohorts to step back from the edge and quickly informed them of what he now believed to be the living thing that was in the water. The men listened with great interest as the light slowly came closer. With all members of the group now aware of the dangers that dwelled just below the surface, one of the men grabbed a rifle and fired a shot directly into the water toward the light. Without hesitation, the lake went dark and the unknown source was gone. The remaining group members at once grabbed their firearms and for the rest of the night, Ad Watch was kept just in case whatever made the light decided to come back. Luckily for them, though, whatever it was decided to stay away and let the men enjoy the rest of the night in peace. Because apparently it too was waiting for dawn of a new day to make the presence yet known again. When the sun rose the next day, the men woke with a renowned sense of purpose. The events that took place during the night were no longer forefront in their minds. The strange green light had been placed by images of copper and the possibility of striking it big. The group cleaned up the camp, gathered up their things, and made their way back out of the small barge which had been brought to them. Once all aboard, the men began the process of getting one of their own ready to get into the water and search for what they were sure was down there. Copper. Now fully dressed in the 200-pound waterproof canvas suit and bulky copper and brass helmet, the lucky chosen one slowly made his way toward the side of the barge and prepared to venture in. Two members of the group manned the air supply pump and another gave instruction through the diver's telephone system. A sealed connection tube, which attached like the air hose and allowed the diver and the surface to somewhat communicate. With everything in working order, the diver took a deep breath to calm his nerves, picked up a bucket and a crowbar attached with a knife to his belt, and then leapt forward into the Great Lake. With his heavy suit and weighed boots pulling him downward, he sank to the depth to around 30 feet before making contact with the targeted area. With both feet now planted firmly on the bottom, the diver began to search for copper. This is scary, man. I Personally, I want to do the whole thing where you're like in a cage with a shark. We're kind of in a scuba suit. Now, after being under the surface for only a short while, the diver was able to confirm that the assumptions he and his cohorts made about copper being in the area were correct. There ahead of him were the telltale signs of a submerged vein of copper, a path of green flecked rocks that snaked along the bottom like a painted stream. The diver, knowing that the veins would certainly lead toward a large deposit, followed the vein toward an overhanging rock and into what appeared to be an underwater cavern. As he progressed inside, the hoses attached to his helmet and leading up toward the surface pressed tight against the rock hanging overhead. Knowing he wasn't able to advance much further lest he break the hose, the diver turned around and headed back toward the open lake. But just as he was about to reach the cave's entrance, everything went black. Hey, uh, <laughs> I got some copper. It's going to be all true fitting. Oh, that's the only thing about uh, going deep, deep depth in like the water or the ocean. I'm scared of getting like a, what happens to your blood? It gets like a carbon dioxide poisoning. I think it's called epoxia. Your blood will get poisoned. 
Yeah, you can't. It's well, that's like really, really deep dive. You have to slowly rise to the top. Yeah, you have to come back like a like a couple hours and then wait. Yeah, wait. A couple hours, or wait. and then or, or then I don't I don't know man. if it's or or then <laughs> you have to go into a um, chamber where de- it's a decompression chamber. Yeah, I've heard that too. That's scary though. And then you turn into a super saiyan. Oh, and then you go. <laughs> and then four episodes later. <laughs> You're still in the chamber. That was back in our day. Now it's they cut all that out. Did they? Yeah, they released. It was five episodes before Goku could turn into a Super Saiyan. No, they released Dragon Ball Z. And he's just going, ah. <laughs> and then it's all in the last episode of Dragon Ball Z. I think they released. Ah! <laughs> and then Gohan's doing all this stuff. And then on the next episode of Dragon Ball Z, ah. And then Trunks is over there. It's all like, oh, <laughs> I'm my from dad. the future. He's sad. That's my dad. It's Vegeta. And then. <laughs> Uh, Bulma's like, oh no, what? And then, uh, <laughs> yep. No, it's like Dragon Ball Z Kai or something where they cut all that stuff out. And it's like, I'm making my son, who's nine years old, I'm making him watch him suffer. all of Dragon Ball. And then we're going to go to Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. You're going to watch, we're gonna watch 10 episodes every, of the Spirit Bomb. Yep, he's going to hate every moment of it. <laughs> and I'm going to say, this is what we did in the 90s. You are going to accept it. You don't understand. Every day, it was ninth grade, and I come home, yeah. and I'm like, I have to watch this episode because if I don't, we didn't have our parents did not have a VCR no. that we could record a freaking episode on. We had to watch it live. We or we didn't watch it. Yeah, and then or we that. got to school, and everyone's all, "Did you see Goku was oh, all <laughs> no. trunks?" And and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> okay, we got way off track. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> We're- we're not damaged at all by our <laughs> childhood. <laughs> I'm not traumatized. It's no, traumatized. don't say that. Okay. BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com. Hey, hopefully no, they sponsor us in the future. Confused? By what was occurring, the diver slowly approached the area of his escape with arms outstretched, expecting to be greeted by the hard surface of a large rock, which once hung overhead and may have fallen, thus blocking his path. The diver was instead shocked to find himself pressed up against a living, fleshy thing. The rock was then exasperated when the living thing, which up until that point was kept hidden by the blackness around it, began to glow green. The diver, now fully aware of what was he was looking at, tried to back away as quickly as possible. That was Godzilla. <laughs> he was Gojira? That was Godzilla. With the... um. God, the hollow all, earth. All of a sudden, it was like nuclear waste has come right there, and all of a sudden, he's charging up, and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> the hollow earth theory. He was in the hollow earth with the, he was absorbing all the, the radiation. The radiation, yeah. Unsure of what he could do, the diver began yelling into his helmet in hopes to the sound would carry through the telephone system and alert his team up on the barge. While he was yelling, it did actually prove success in a way and was ultimately heard. Sadly, though, it was the creature that he had heard. Not Gojira. It was the Mishapishu. Maybe it was. <laughs> with his yelling now at maximum volume, the diver watched with his eyes through the holes of his helmet as the green glowing beast began to move toward him. Well, yeah, Godzilla's green. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I'm looking at a poster right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll post it. It's a oh, picture. No. I'll post it. 
Fearing what may have happened next, the diver turned and tried to move forward, but was unstable to do so with the hoses were stretched to their limit. Beginning to panic, the diver turned yet again to view the creature, only this time when he spun around, he directly made eye contact with the giant-eyed creature staring back at him. The diver reacted out of instinct and grabbed the knife from his belt, shoving it forward into the eye of the creature. Like an explosion, the dull green light grew brighter and brighter and drove away the darkness inside the cave. And at that moment, the terrified diver was able to see the creature in all its glory. The Mishap Issue. There before him, blocking his only exit, was a giant beast with large eyes and more than a dozen tentacles flailing widely through the water. Tentacles? We didn't talk about tentacles before, so that's interesting. We talked about uh, like feline or cat paws. Um, tentacles. It or was like a the snake. Kraken. It was the Kraken. It was the Zeus. Kraken. Scotland, I'm telling you, it was a Kraken. <laughs> I've been there. The, the diver with the knife still in his hand slashed at the mass of tentacles moving around him. Every time the sharp blade made contact with the thick, writhing arms, the creature grew more upset grabbing at anything and everything it could grab in its length. While the diver was able to force back every tentacle attempt to grab him, the hoses extended from the top of his helmet to the surface. The creature wrapped one of its arms around the man's life support system and began to pull violently back and forth, shaking him. The diver now lifted off the ground and at the mercy of the flailing beast continued to slash widely with its knife in hopes of striking a vital point of the monster. But with every second that passed, his actions proved to become more difficult and more life-threatening. The hoses now twisted within the arms of the creature were no longer able to do their job and supply oxygen to the exhausted diver. Along with this, the connections were beginning to detach from the top of the helmet and slowly trickle down to the water, and it began to feel the copper headpiece of the diver. Recognizing that the next few minutes literally meant life or death, the diver focused all of his ten- all of his attention on the tentacle that had begun wrapping itself above his body. Wait, there's a tentacle? That's <laughs> this is the kraken. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, now I don't know. A, I don't think it's a tentacle. <laughs> it might be his tail. Like it we talked about be. the last in in the previous story, the one that I told. Yeah. It said that his tail was wagging. It was like super long. Hither and thither. So he probably thinks Back and it's, forth. A, it's a tentacle, but it's, and then it's just a tail. I think it was a tail. He needed a cedar, a cedar ore, and then he needs to strike it and say, yeah. Thunder! Cannons to the left oh of them! My God. Cannons <laughs> to the right of them! Cannons in front of them! <laughs> Something in thunder! Is that um? Fresh Prince. Delegato. Yeah. Oh, oh God. <laughs> what was that? What's his name? Something Delegato. Jethro? What's the guy's No, the Delegato. With his arms still free, the diver gathered every ounce of strength he had left and plunged the knife into the thick tentacle around him. Also, as soon as the blade pierced the flesh of the beast, the diver pulled the knife sideways through the thickest part of the arm and successfully managed to sever it from the creature. Dark blood spilled out of the stump of the tentacle in the water surrounding them, and the beast pulled back in both shock and pain. Every arm released 
when it was gripping tightly and green light began to flash at varying intensifies across its body. The monster then packed its remaining arms tightly together and shot forward into the dark of the cave. The only indication that it was there was the faint glow of the green light. But this too was quickly consumed by the darkness. So did, I don't know if he fought the Mishapeshu. It sounds like the Kraken. I don't think he fought the Mishapeshu. I think yeah. he was like, this dude was lit. <laughs> Maybe. He was all like, oh no. And they threw a rope out and the rope got him. And he's all, it's on my leg. And the guy's all, ha, 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 they're getting you. It's a Mishapeshu. <laughs> and he goes, oh, look at him, John. Look, John. Look at, look at him, John. Look at him. This guy's getting it. And he's all, oh no. Oh no. It's a suction cup. Oh yeah. And we got calamari. So we threw some, threw oh, some things on him. Calamari. We threw some uh, suction cup, suction cup. Mm. And he goes, oh, serpentine. Come on. <laughs> serpentine, serpentine, serpentine. And they got him. I think he's a liar. Maybe. Now the verge of losing consciousness, the diver made a feeble attempt to exit the cave, but lack of oxygen and overwhelming exhaustion stopped the diver as quickly as he started. Fully accepting that his fate was sealed, the diver was understandably shocked when he felt himself beginning to move not only out of the cave, but also up into the water around him. And after only a few minutes, the diver was hauled to the surface and back onto the barge with the rest of his group. After the diver had regained his composure and was checked for injuries, the men on the barge related to him how their boat had been thrusted violently back and forth while he was down in the water. As well as they pulled him across the surface completely, the boat was out of control. On more than one occasion, the diving hoses were nearly ripped from one boat from another, but thankfully remained attached due to the heavy pumping equipment bolted on the barge. It wasn't until the hoses went limp only a few minutes prior that the men were able to finally pull the diver up to the surface. After they were finished telling their side of the story, the diver related his harrowing tale to the shocked group. And after all was said and done, he never... He vowed to never get into the water of Lake Superior again. With all in agreement, the men raised the anchor and headed to shore. Upon their arrival back dry on land, the men disbanded the area and left, never to return again. Liars. They shouldn't have went looking for copper. So we didn't hear about uh, the Mishpeshu or Underwater Panther having tentacles, but this person, this diver. No, I think this guy was, I think he was all jacked up <laughs> and they were throwing stuff at him. <laughs> they were messing around and they were, they were like, throw a rope at him. Maybe he was part of that uh, French Jesus group. He was all just flipping out. He was all, my baguettes are... Oh no, that's Spain. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so this is the short story that I found. It says, in the morning they found me and related a scare they had the evening. It was dark, and they were enjoying the warmth of the fire when out on the lake they noticed a long log drift by. They thought it was an odd-looking log, about 30 feet long, and it was really scary, and it freaked them out. When it turned around and swam back past them, as the log got closer, they noticed it had a rigid back. They quickly put out the fire and ran away from the beach. Lake Superior Monster or Giant Sturgeon? I don't know. But is Mishapishu real? I have no doubt. If you're a paddler, it's worth paddling out to visit the 
pictograph of Mishapishu, and don't forget to bring an offering. So the not sturgeon, copper, huh? Don't bring copper. No, we bring like tobacco or. But no, she said an offering. So yeah. I was just saying, don't bring copper. No sturgeon. A banana. Are sturgeon the one that have like the weird mouth? Uh, like no, 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 no. Sturgeon are like swordfish. Huge. Oh, your hat is telling you a story. Bass Pro. My hat. <laughs> you have a Bass Pro hat on. I do. When we went to Vegas, the mm-hmm. Bass Pro in Vegas, remember that giant ass fish that's there? Oh, yeah. That's, that's a surgeon. Oh, so maybe you could catch some of those in uh, Lake Superior. Oh, man. All right. I have one last encounter Ooh. with the Mishapichu. Mishapichu. I'm telling you, man, I find all these weird forums. Creepy pasta forum, oh, crypto forum, a little uh, spooky spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, all these weird forums, and I found this on this forum. So this goes as so. There's alienfinders.com. <laughs> alien wives. Oh, we got to talk to the uh, what are they? Dude. The alien guys in Bakersfield. UFO finders. UFO finders. They know we exist. We are looking at you guys, and yeah. we will contact you next week because I sound stupid. We got so, their contact information. Um, so if you heard our flying head episode, brah, brah, brah. we gave them a shout out, and I also said I wanted to be their friend. So shout out! They know we exist, so we're, we're here for you guys. Look out for that. So this encounter goes as so: there's a river that runs nearby my house. Surrounding it, on both sides, are woods. They're small compared to actual forest, after all. This is, of course, a city. But entering into one, even in the winter, when the trees are stripped bare, it's almost as tough. You're entering into another world. This feeling varies from spot to spot. But one location one feels is most strongly happens to be a small creek that runs into the river from a pipe. It once used to be longer, but when they made the Riverside Park, they needed flat area for sports. So they cut down most of the trees and covered the creek up, piping it from the source where the pipe lets out now. Still, the creek, albeit small, is haunting and enchanted. The edge of the woods is barely seven steps away from where the pipe lets out, and this somehow doesn't dater from the atmosphere. My friends and I sometimes go out and sit there. We would read, talk, or just be sitting in the tranquility and let it envelop us. As we grew old, we naturally stayed out later and later. The incident I'm going to recount happened on a warm night at about three years ago. My parents had told me never to speak of it to anyone, and remembering the events that happened here, this had made me realize that I'm not content with the keeping it quiet, and I want to talk about these things. Me and two friends, Jack and his sister Harriet, were sitting on stones next to the creek, talking. Well, it was mostly them talking, in anticipation of their yearly trip to Florida. But once, around 9 p.m., we got up and went home. Across the parkway, across the park, and up in s- of a wood wooden stairs that led up to our street. Upon arriving to the steps, Harriet reached for her phone to check the time. Their parents would get quite cross about them being even a single minute late and she didn't have it it seemed she had left it where they were sitting she told jack to run ahead and tell their parents that she had a little that she would be a little late i interceded and volunteered to get for her 
so that neither of them would be late. Jack and her ran home while I went back the way they came. I jogged across the park, and it was a short time that took me to reach the edge of the woods where the creek was. It had been quite dark. Unaided by the streetlights due to the distance, I pulled out my iPod and opened the flashlight app. <laughs> that that kind of tells how old it the David, story is. The iPod. The iPod. Instead of going around and walking to the path that led to the creek, I jogged across the park and in the short time that took me to reach the edge of the woods where the creek was, it had been quite dark. Unaided by the streetlights due to the distance, I pulled out my iPod and opened the flashlight app. Instead of going around and walking to the path that led to the creek, like I usually did, I went to the creek and I took seven steps through the woods. The moon shone through the trees, so I turned brightness on the app down a bit because it was too bright and I couldn't see anything. I stood above the pipe and peered down into the rocks. Sure enough, there was Harriet's phone. I went around and down the creek, I reached for the phone but froze as I saw something. I saw two glowing dots across the creek that looked like eyes, which I thought were fireflies at first, but then I realized that they were eyeballs. With the outstretched hand, I took a hold of Harriet's phone, and with the other, I turned my iPod from facing the creek to facing the eyes. At that exact moment, it roared, sounding like a storm, and I was so startled that I blinked and didn't catch much of it except for its feline face. And then it pounced and landed on the creek. So like we were talking about, that Mishapishu, he sounds, he hisses or sounds like a storm. Yeah. As the water splashed everywhere and I turned and scrambled up to step slope on the creek bed, I raced out into the park and dashed across the grass. The dew of the grass was wet and I slipped. While I was running, I tucked the iPod and Harry's phone into my pockets and I tried so hard not to drop them. I ran madly. My mind almost singularly focused on getting away from whatever it was. I got to the road and dashed across it, running as fast as I could. When I got to the curb, I tripped and fell face first into the grass. <laughs> when the creature latched onto my ankle with its mouth, I gasped in pain as its teeth gripped my leg. I felt its grip loosen somewhat, and a second later I heard a, a terrific crash and my leg was wrenched from its mouth. Or rather, its mouth was wrenched off my leg. I pulled myself out of the street and turned around quickly. Someone had collided with the creature. It was lying in the street, unmoving. And I could clearly see now because of the headlights. It was clearly a feline. Except, instead of fur, it was entirely scaled like a snake. And it had serrated spikes running down its spine. The driver of the car that I had seen got out of, of his car quickly. It looked as if the creature let out a sting of explosives. He then looked at me and leaned in and he said, I'm sorry, kid. I just, and then he stopped and he said he trailed off. So this is like another person that seen the creature beside this, uh, the driver seen the creature. That's yeah. He saw it and he was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> He looked at my ankle and told me that I had better get home and take care of it. 
I nodded numbly and stood up. He walked around the passenger side of his car and approached the creature from behind. He picked up a stick from the side of the road and poked the creature before opening up the car door and reaching for something. I was staring at the creature throughout all of this as he poked it. It opened its eyes and stared back at him. I opened my mouth to warn the guy, but before I could get anything out, the creature had gotten out its feet. It swiftly turned toward the guy and leaped. It ripped the car door off and it slammed into the guy that I had seen, pushing him down to the floor. The creature slashed his side and its claws was dragged and it slammed himself sideways to get under the car. It snarled and tried to get at him. All this took place in the span of perhaps 20 seconds. Once I started battling under the car, I came to my senses and began walking backwards toward the car. It noticed me. It noticed me doing this and ran to me. It roared in my face and then turned, leapt over the car, and ran back into the woods. I had never seen it again, and it turned its heels and ran home as fast as it could. That is insane. Wow, that's the end? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't want to see them as you pitch. I'm getting a baseball bat and hitting that sucker. Come over there and try to just jack me up and rip my car door off? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Do you know my deductible is like $1,500? Oh, Are you kidding insurance. me? I'm not doing all that. Yeah, so that, I mean, the moral of the story, don't take copper from Lake Superior. No, leave it alone. <laughs> leave these guys alone. I hope you guys like this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm Joseph. This is Gabriel. I uh, hope you like hearing my voice because I sound like trash right now. Next week, I will sound 100% better. Hopefully. Because I am that guy. Yes. Yes. I'm better than you. Sorry. I'm the best. Well, like we said at the top of the episode, make sure to follow us on Instagram at indigenous underscore tales and look out for that sticker giveaway. We're going to post this sticker on december the 8th we might do it sooner i don't know it's yeah. gonna be whenever the hell we want until <laughs> it might be it might be tomorrow might be the next day yeah when we record but so we'll, you don't even know when we're recording yeah we'll post the sticker but make sure to it's a five by five sticker it's but we will awesome. give you guys a week from when you hear this episode yes so you can tag do all the stuff like we said on the sh- on everything else uh, we're not going to repeat it. Oh, God. Follow the show notes. Look <laughs> at the show notes. Yeah. Read all that stuff. We will get all you guys set up. You will guys. You guys will love it. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So we got the sticker giveaway going. And remember to look out for our Patreon and our merch that we're going to be working on. We're going to be. Our goal is to have it before 2023. So by the end of the December. It's going to happen. The latest. Yes. We're going to happen. It's going to happen. So we're going to have updates and all that stuff on our socials. So make sure to follow us on there. And also our TikTok. We haven't posted much on there, but we're going to be posting more. And I don't do TikTok. Gabe does TikTok. So it's his <laughs> fault. So blame him. I don't do the TikToks. <laughs> yeah. So make sure to do that. And then to send us your questions, concerns. And your stories. Yeah, stories, all that stuff at info at behillnetwork.com. Boom. Email us that, and we will make sure to check that out. So we love you guys. We hope you love this episode. We loved it. It was awesome. And until next time, I'm Joseph. And I'm Gabriel. You'll be remembered by the tracks you leave. And remain close to the great spirit. 
spiritually connected to the earth and understand the spiritual 